I do, though, fundamentally believe that starting your own business, running your own company is a key to ultimate happiness. And so if it is the journey that you want to follow, I do think it's not going to be an easy one, not at all, but it's definitely will give you a ride that creates happiness in your life like nothing else. I'm Emily Billy, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women, author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and host of The Wallet. Today, I speak to Holly Tucker, a British entrepreneur, philanthropist, and UK ambassador for creative small businesses. She's the founder of the online marketplace, notontheicestreet.com and Holly Co., a small business advice and inspiration platform. Above all, Holly is an ardent small business advocate and keynote speaker, committed to helping female entrepreneurs thrive by turning their passion into profit while building a happy and fulfilling life. In today's episode of The Wallet, we discuss how you can build a business that looks and feels like you, the advantages of running your own company as a woman, and how to build confidence in those early days of entrepreneurship. Holly shares her experience of managing money and cash flow in her business and the role that money plays in her life and work. As a founder, there can be a lot of pressure on you to do it all. Holly opens up about how she juggles works and home life, as well as self-care, and why she believes a balance of purpose and profit is the key to ultimate happiness. Holly's new book, Do What You Love, Love What You Do, The Empowering Secrets to Turn Your Passion into Profit, is out today. I'd also like to just say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pension B. Pension B has helped over 400,000 customers be pension confident. It enables savers to take control of their finances by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. With Pension B, you can manage your pension like you manage your bank account, check your real-time balance, see your projected retirement income, and set up contributions and withdrawals all from the palm of your hand. Plus, you'll get human support from your very own UK-based account manager, who has Pension B calls them Beekeeper. You can sign up to Pension B today with the names of your old pension providers in just five minutes. And if you're self-employed, you can start a new pension from scratch. As always with investments, your capital is at risk. Please note that information made available on this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. If you have any questions, you should seek advice from an independent financial advisor. Good morning, Holly. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. It's lovely to see you. I was just saying how nice it is to see you not on a live, on Instagram, like <laughs> on a different medium. <laughs> yeah, each time I, uh, you know, I switch on my Instagram, I see live by Holly and I'm like, oh my God, I need to catch up on this one and IGTV <laughs> and all this like money chat with, with entrepreneurs. So Holly, I think people would know you, <laughs> but can I ask you to, you know, introduce yourself? Of course. My name is Holly Tucker and a long time ago, back in 2005, myself and Sophie sat around a kitchen table and came up with the idea of Not on the High Street. And that has been an amazing adventure, which ultimately has also led to myself starting my second business baby five years ago, Holly & Co. So you're supporting yeah, mostly like female entrepreneurs. And I was reading these stats, there's now over 5 million small businesses in the UK. I think maybe with the impact of the pandemic, we're going to see more and more women actually starting businesses. Maybe because they have to, but do you think 
anyone can actually start a business. Absolutely. I do believe that anyone can start a business because when you look at the statistic that what the chances of us being born is one in 400 trillion, I, I think that we're already chosen in a sense to be on the planet. So I feel like we are the chosen ones rather than we've got to choose between all of us. So I do think that we can all start a business. It just depends you know, I suppose your appetite for risk, appetite for working hard, appetite to be in control of something. There's so many elements. I do, though, fundamentally believe that starting your own business, running your own company is a key to ultimate happiness. And so if it is the journey that you want to follow, I do think it's not going to be an easy one, not at all, but it's definitely will give you a ride that creates happiness in your life like nothing else. Yeah, and I guess we have this maybe misconception that, you know, building a business, you have to be on, you know, tech crunch, you have to, you know, make the news, but you can build a business that looks like you. I mean, is this what you've been trying to do with, with your businesses? Or I mean, what's What's your definition of success and did you build your businesses to, to achieve something like maybe freedom or? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, when I started not in the high street, I was 28 years old. So I was 28 and I suppose that journey was different. That was one where, you know, you have to remember there wasn't even the word entrepreneur used regularly. You didn't have seed funding. You didn't have any community at all. You didn't have social media. So, you know, when we started, I suppose we wanted to build a business. We wanted to be financially independent. We wanted to earn money. We wanted to control our own destinies. And that was the adventure that we were looking to go on. It wasn't one though that we were looking to lots of other people thinking, oh, wow, they've done it and I would like to do it too, because that wasn't the landscape at all, right? You didn't, you really didn't know of other entrepreneurs. I think with Holly and Co at the age of whatever I was, 40, 39, 40, that I had grown and realized that for me, the success of this was to be able to live as an entrepreneur every single day, helping people be the business doing more than just sort of what it said on the tin, that it was becoming part of people's lives. And it was fundamentally helping people live a better life. So I think that there were these two elements from a 28-year-old and a near 40-year-old, that there was a different path. But the golden thread, I suppose, that pulls it all together is My aim has always been to help others, to empower others, to live creatively. And that's the sort of common denominator of these two businesses that I've created. And now, I mean, you're helping female entrepreneurs to also, you know, thrive on the same mission like as yours, like be creative, potentially also helping others, creating like communities. What are the advantages for women running a business and the challenges? I think that there are so many advantages to being a woman in business because I'm a firm believer that we are some of the most empathetic creatures on the planet. And so when you really want to understand your customer, and I believe that you should, you know, the easiest thing for me has been that I've built my businesses being the customer. So 
at not in the high street we just had to look to ourselves to understand what we wanted and how we consumed to then build a business because we knew there would be many people like us you know and i've i've heard that on my podcast time and time again that's exactly what these founders did they built businesses with themselves as the customers i think it's quite difficult if you're not the customer so i don't know that experience so if you are and i think predominantly the people listening right now probably are building uh, businesses with their selves in mind and others, I think then you have this incredible superpower to truly understand the heartbeat of your customer, understand the emotional journey that they go through every single day, and to be able to tap into that. Now, that is the superpower because ultimately, women can do this. We're highly empathetic. We're very, very able. We're brilliant communicators. We're fantastic at multitasking. And so actually, I think some of those key elements that you need to creating a business we have in bucket loads, the challenges that you have, I suppose, are created by society, which has, I think, been predominantly built from the gray-haired man. And whether that's in money, whether that's in retail, we as women have grown up, or certainly myself at this age, if I look back to my childhood, it was a male-dominated childhood in terms of when I looked at the TV, who was talking about business, who was an anchorman, all these sorts of things. And I think that that has ultimately caused what we now like to call imposter syndrome in so many of us. And we carry that around. So I think that the largest challenge that we have as women is the labels that we now can do. I love the fact we can define these things now. I like that we can call it something, but I really want to understand how we get out of it, um, how we come through it or accept it, because I don't think we need any more hurdles. We just need to understand what the framework is that we're dealing with in society and then try and get through the labels that we're now given. So how do you then build more confidence as a women, especially, you know, as a, you know, small business owners, like beginning, like launching business is super hard. So I think, I guess having a big mission is one thing. So can you be, you know, a small business with a big mission and, and, and how do you build confidence in these like early days? My belief is that your small business has to have a huge vision, far, far greater than yourself. I was just writing an article about brand and the difference between building a brand with a societal mission versus building a brand to support a product. And I think that that we're now entering an age where we need to understand that if we want to emotionally tap into our customer, if we want to be super smart building a company, have a purpose that is far greater than what you sell or what you do. And that doesn't have to necessarily be always you know, just to do good. I mean, I I promote doing good, but you do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be holier than thou. You don't have to just, you know, but ultimately you need to have conversation that is far greater than what you do. I think that gives you confidence because we 
potentially, and this is a bit of a sweeping statement, if we're selling something, sometimes we feel uncomfortable about it. Whereas if we're talking about making a change that helps others, I think that taps into our what I call Nemo stream, you know, finding Nemo, you know, it's, it fits into our little sort of lovely lukewarm stream that goes through. And that's where we're great at it. And I also think that building confidence takes time. I'm also reading a book about sort of the 1%, you know, the 1% change that you can make. That's blown my mind, to be honest with you. So I think that you could just do 1% more a day, 1% more a week, and look at what areas you need to build your confidence in. And I, it's been fantastic when I look at this community that I'm so honored to try and cheerlead through to, uh, in our journeys. I, I saw someone that was so shy uh, a couple of years ago and she was doing her first Instagram live and there was the community jumping on. And I was <laughs> just so happy for her because she was finding her confidence, but that's taken a few years, but that's okay. As long as we were moving forward, always move forward, not backwards. Keep your head looking straight. And I think that that's one of the keys for me. Yeah, so you're giving a lot of these tips in your amazing book that's actually coming out today. That's called Do What You Love and Love What You Do. I can't wait to read it, but as I was reading, there's lots of, you know, secret about it on, you know, growing a successful business, the skills, the emotions as, as an entrepreneur. But we can't talk about business if we don't talk about money. <laughs> and I know you love you love talking about money. And we were having a, a quick conversation be before the podcast. And I was talking about, you know, Vespod and, you know, raising funding, not raising funding. When do you do it? And as a founder, so starting is one thing. And then it's, you know, resilience and, you know, continuing to, to, to build this business. So how does it work for you at Holy & Co in terms of maybe, you know, planning and ambition and success? What's your roadmap? And can you explain to anyone how to grow their, their business once they've started? Yeah, I think the most, one of the most important things that you can do is plot where you would like to go. I speak to a lot of small businesses. They do the today, they do maybe the tomorrow, but they do not do the long term. Unless you look at the future and you say, right, if you look at a compass, I would like to go northeast. That is my direction, northeast, not northwest. Unless you actually determine that, and by the way, northeast could be that you want to ultimately retire in Somerset. You'd like to own your own home. You'd love that the kids were able to go to university. You'd love them to work in your business, et cetera, et cetera. Or that's your Northeast. Northwest is you'd like to raise money. You'd like to float your business, right? So you have to determine which where you're going, traveling, in order to make the right decisions all along the way. Because ultimately, from day one, you will get a northwest, northeast opportunity or decision to make. Unless you've decided where you want to go, how do you know what to do? So that's the first thing I would say is look at the future. And then once you've understood the future, my decisions to go northwest would mean very different things for me at Holly & Co. You know, I would need to build a business with either profitability or high growth. I would need to look at all the KPIs that an investor would want to look at. I would need to understand that I would have to have an exit plan. I would have to understand that I would need to have a board and I was going to, et cetera, et cetera. But if I was traveling north 
East, then actually what I was looking for is maybe a business that would have dividends. Maybe I would have internal shareholders. Maybe I would have a board, but it was a board made up of different people who were going to help me advise the different areas I was traveling. Maybe I wanted to do more events or I wanted to go into publishing more. So I would get those people on my board. It would make me understand uh, what growth that I needed in order to, let's say I wanted to move to Somerset, by the way, I've just combined two examples, but anyway, you know, uh, what I needed. And then that would allow me to create a plan per year on how to get there. If you do not do this, and you're living every single day, not knowing the coordinates that you're traveling, this is a really dangerous point. And it's actually one of the reasons I think the statistics are so high when it comes to businesses failing. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, what is money for you? I remember Sophie, my co-founder, not on the high street, saying money, Holly, for me, just gives me opportunity. That is what money is. It creates opportunity. And I think over the years, I've really understood what she meant by that. It allows you to open doors that you potentially wouldn't be able to open if you didn't have that money. And I was lucky. My father was a CFO of General Electric and he's a chartered accountant. So I have been not brought up with an Excel spreadsheet, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> You know, I was always inquisitive and he always would speak to me about money or sales and selling things and profit and all these sorts of things from an early age. And actually, I love a spreadsheet because I think I'm a bit of a control freak like most people who have their own businesses. And the idea of not knowing what the financial health of my company is at any point in time kills me. That is, you know, and the same with my own personal finances. That is my Achilles heel. And I think it's everyone's, but it depends whether you face into it or you're an ostrich. And actually one of my titles in my book is don't be an ostrich, because I think that that is what we can tend to do. And when I'm having a bad month or two, and I'm worried about money, I'm an ostrich. I will yeah. find my default is to be an ostrich. I'm so panicked about what the news might be. I don't want to even talk about it. Yeah. So sometimes my father can call me. He helps me with my money still today. And, you know, he's been my mentor. He's, he, he came to Nottingham High Street back in 2006 as our FD. And then he was our FD when he tried to retire. And then I made him not retire. And he was the FD at Hollywood. <laughs> he has just finally retired. I think it's 70. I think he's 74 now. He's been trying to retire literally for about the best part of two decades. But actually, when he calls me sometimes and to talk about money, you know, he has to coach me through it. I've got yep. so much baggage when it comes to this because money will take my dream down. Money will kill not on the high street. Money will hurt my family. You know, and so actually, I think a lot of us have got a lot of baggage. It could be from what we heard our parents talk about money. How, you know, and I think that there is a real thing about undoing those wires, those tangled wires, in order for us to be better financial females as we grow older. I think there's a lot of that going around. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, often we, we also don't 
don't have these money conversations about, you know, money blocks. And this is so important for small business owners because we know that, you know, cash flow, cash is king. So if you don't have money in your business, then your business doesn't exist anymore. Are you having this money conversation? And, and I know it's quite different to talk about business finances and personal finances. It's really hard to talk about the way you, you know, spend money, earn money, what is money for you. What do you do to get better at you know, your personal finances and, and thinking that money is, is abundant, that money is a good thing in your life? Regularity is really, really important. So um, anything from, for instance, you know, I have a box now where all the bills go in. Every Sunday in my diary, I have one hour that I have to go into the box, open everything up. I have to look at it all. I file it all away and I go into my personal spreadsheet that I have and I basically check that I'm on track. I just check some of the key things that we're not overspending, that the savings that I wanted to save are being saved and the administration. You know, there is a lot of administration in life and that is a fact. But if you just keep yourself on top of it, don't get me wrong, there's sometimes with that box, I have to create another one. And then I call my son in because I do believe that, you know, there's a time where our children aren't even aware of what a bill is, because for some reason, our education system does not find it, you know, a suitable thing yeah. to actually educate our kids in actually becoming adults with our money. And uh, I make him divide up all the bills. He looks at all the bills. He understands what, you know, yeah, water costs money, electricity costs money, but we can switch it. We can do this. And Actually, it's quite a nice thing when that happens. That's my excuse, by the way, for allowing it to build up that I, I'm educating my son. But, you know, and I go into that personal spreadsheet and I've had a, a personal spreadsheet since the day we started not on the high street because things were so precarious that I could not pay the mortgage some months and I needed to delay the mortgage payment or I couldn't spend money on childcare. So I needed to negotiate with my childcare on split payments. So it was so precarious that actually that spreadsheet for me really represents stability. But you're right, cash is queen. You don't have money in your life the stress that that can cause is overwhelming. And I will do everything I can to not taste that stress again, because I know it so, so well. And I guess you've learned a lot from doing this for, for yourself, or maybe because you were also building that on the high street and, and doing it for the business. But how can you stay quite frugal in, in business and make sure you know, you don't run out of cash because then, you know, that's the end of the game. Are you still very frugal at, you know, Holly and Co and the way you, you manage your finances? I think once you've started a business that's nearly gone under four times, you're paying staff on your credit card checkbooks. Do you know what I mean? I, I am so respectful of that cash flow. I cannot tell you. And I'm lucky my father is just, he is a typical accountant and the way he is, but he is my best friend and mentor when it, it my business so cash flow cash flow cash flow can i delay payments can i talk to suppliers it's actually one of the reasons why i talk about having connections and making friendships with your suppliers and not just treating them as suppliers you know these are people who can give you 90 days or demand seven there are so many things that you can do in your business actually looking at every penny that's spent every day, uh, understanding and telling your team, if you have a team, 
the reality of your company. I think a lot of people and a lot of founders take all of that burden. Certainly Sophie and I did at the beginning of Notton High Street, and I do not do it at Holly & Co now. You know, we're not out the woods yet with Holly & Co. That team knows always really where I'm at with things. This is tough, guys. This is super, super tough. You know, and that it's a really healthy thing, I think, for the whole team to understand the financial makeup of your company and it not just be the dirty secret of the founder to just hold on to and have that burden. So it's it's an important thing to share. It's a regularity. And slowly but surely, you start to love being in control of it, I think. Yeah. And and I mean, it's quite hard to, to talk about, you know, the, the struggle, um, you know, internally with, you know, people who work with you, because when you build a business, you have to be so proud of it. You have, you know, you're the top cheerleader and, and mm -hmm. to people outside of the company, everything is always amazing. I mean, even if now you, you can show a bit more like vulnerability and stuff like on social media and, and, and that helps and because you have a supportive community. But how do you how do you balance the two and still, you know, show this vulnerability, but also show that, yeah, you know, we have such a strong mission and we we're here and we're going to be here for the next, you know, 10 years. I think that there's a difference, though, isn't there? Because my ambition and my vision does not get dented by my vulnerability. So along the way, I will go through peaks and troughs, but my vision, my anchor that I've thrown out there caught my vision and I've pulled the rope all the way back to now. Now I have hold of that just because I'm having a bad day, just because we're low on cash, just because things aren't going well does not mean that that anchor and that rope, you know, the rope's not pulled tight. It is. So I think that there is a difference. And I think sometimes we can get that confused. My vulnerability does not determine my ambition. And so I think that that's something people should take away. How do you then build this resilience? You know, building a business is crazy. You also have a family you know, you're managing professional life, personal life, but often as an entrepreneur, like the boundaries between the two are sometimes, you know, very thin. I don't think there's a, you know, balance between both. Do you have a few like ticks and trips? What are the things you do? I know you've been talking recently about, you know, really taking care of yourself and, you know, mm. why it's important. So how, how do you do it? And do you set any, any boundaries? I do not set boundaries on purpose. That is the thing that has to go because I think that boundaries cause stress. So in my book, I definitely, you know, each, I've got eight chapters in my book broken down into five micro chapters so that us busy women can pick up, read two, three pages. There's a holly hack at the end of it. We can learn something, hopefully, or take away something or be inspired, whatever it is. And one of them is about the good life, how to build a good life. And I call our companies now not silly SMEs and these awful acronyms given to us by government and everything. I think that we're building good life companies and a good life is a full life and one life. So I don't have a beginning of my workday and an end of my workday or the beginning of my personal life. Everything is entwined. So that sometimes, yes, does lead to 
doing an email at nine o'clock at night when I'm watching a family film. Okay. And then Frank and Harry raises their eyebrows at me and I say, do you enjoy the food that's on your plate? I mean, I don't, but anyway, but you know, it is that thing when we laugh, right? It's like, this doesn't just stop. And I do make sure I'm watching the, don't get me wrong. I pay attention to the family film, but I think the first thing we have to do is stop this idea of balancing the, and get rid of it. The second you do that and you tell your family about that, you get their feedback. They have to buy in, by the way, to this lifestyle. Otherwise, you're continuously going to be fighting. And the other thing that I've brought into what is this good life, but I've only really just started this journey, and it's thanks to COVID or something good that's come out of COVID for me, has been that my adrenaline has dropped I have actually come to the home. I've never in 20, you know, I've been working since I was 17. I'm 44. I've never been at home so much. And so actually what I found is that I had a couple of hours in the day that were new to me. And what I did was decided to start to put myself on the to-do list. You know, I think us women find it very difficult to, prioritize ourselves when we run our own companies and we run a family. So I think that that time has been allowed me to understand there has to be that third. And every day there has to be the third. Whereas I used to do, the third would come every two weeks or something. Do you know what I mean? And actually now every single day I will go for a walk. I've started running, never a runner. I do the vitamins. I'm eating healthy. I'm sleeping. I'm doing all these things. And actually, amazingly, it's really supporting my good life, actually, far more than when I look back to 2019, right? There is a difference in me. But it's a long journey, isn't it? It's the 1%. We go back to the 1%. What change can I make today, this week, that I've never done before, but just as a slight movement in the right direction? Thank you so much, Holly. I just want to ask you, how can anyone support small businesses? Well, we all can. I suppose what we have to do is vote with our money. We have to vote with our money for the type of world that we want to live in. If during COVID people have loved their local high street, you know, shopping local is not just in a pandemic. It's actually forever. They need you. We can all vote with our money. We can stop ourselves going to Amazon. Amazon has its place at certain points, but it doesn't have to be the only place that we go. We can also support small businesses, not just with money, but with love, with attention, with amplification. We can like a post, share a post, comment on it. We can empathize with our small businesses about what it takes to run their companies. And so there's so much that we can do if we're thoughtful and present with our actions. I have three quick fire questions for you, Holly. What is the best financial decision you've ever made? I think buying my homes have always been the best financial decisions for me. Bought my first home when I was 19, I think I was. We bought a one little bedroom flat and I made a bit of money on that. And then I went into buying the next home and made a little bit of money on that. And actually my homes, because I love them so much, they are my yoga. They have been my best financial decisions. Any bad financial decision, worst financial decision? Having a shopping addiction. 
That has been a terrible, I mean, not really, but really, I mean, the most enjoyable and terrible thing, like building a shopping website, okay, yeah, where you're the number one customer for 15 years, okay, that is, and when your company is growing by a thousand percent and you're still the number one customer, that has been a... Yeah, not so great. But in in Jess, I think the latest bad decision was during lockdown, we got a lot of deliveroos. I bought some deliveroo shares and that was a bad mistake. So I won't be doing that again. You learn. Learn, exactly. (laughs) You learn. And what are the things you spend the most money on at the moment? Post lockdown and, you know. My son wants to become a music producer. So his equipment is costing a fortune. And I didn't realize why you would need more than one guitar because I would think a guitar, one guitar just does what a guitar does. And I would say Frank during lockdown had different whims. So one was that he was going to become a drummer. So we've now got a drum kit in the house (laughs) and I think he's used four times. And there was this whole lovely notion that Harry and Frank were going to play together. So I think Frank needs to just like stick to something. And then I suppose another would be, I'm quite a magpie when it comes to sparkly jewelry. And so I love finding small businesses, jewelers and and supporting them. It's my dirty, dark, wonderful secret. <laughs> now exposed to the whole Now exposed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Holly, is there anything else you'd like to share or to recommend with uh, with people who are listening to this episode? Yeah, I think if anyone is scared about what they know about money, what they don't know about money, if they're setting up a business and don't understand how to even begin by being financially in control or uh, setting up a spreadsheet, you know, one of the things I was lucky to have in my father was an accountant who I could ask all the silly questions of. And I cannot underestimate what difference that has made to me. So I would say if anybody is scared, you know, you can always hire an accountant, get a recommendation, hire them for one hour and say, right, I need you to help me. I don't even know what a PL is. I don't even know how to have cash flow. What is it? And ask them to even set up a spreadsheet and then maybe book them the next week for an hour. Say, okay, I've understood that. I want to understand this. We have to be disciplined in ourselves to go on a financial journey, to be better, to not just sit in the world of imposter syndrome and think that that is the boundaries that we're bound by. And so I really want people to liberate themselves because it is not rocket science. You know, we can all do it. And when you feel in control of your money, you don't have dark, sleepless nights crying yourself to sleep. And I just, I just want people to, to not have that in their lives because I really empathize with how horrific it is. <laughs> Absolutely horrific. And so I think we can all make steps to make sure that that's something of the past. And as you say, to have a, a good life. <laughs> to have a good life, exactly. <laughs> so Holly, your book, Do What You Love, Love What You Do, The Empowering Secrets to Turn Your Passion into Profit is out today. I can't wait to read it. We'll, you know, promote it on our, you know, oh, socials and, you so and, and Instagram. I'm sure it's full of, you know, incredible tips because you're, you have a huge community of, you know, small and big businesses, actually. Where can we find you, Holly, if anyone wants to get in touch or see what you're doing? Every day, actually, I write on my Instagram at Holly Tucker. And you can also find much 
much more about me and what we're doing and our events and all those things, come and visit us in the shop at holly.co, the website holly.co. And you can also buy my book, my first book, Do What You Love, Love What You Do, out today. I can't, I can't quite believe it. And I'm very nervous and excited all at the same time. It gets much better. I think oh. until, you know, people have started to read it, like two weeks after publication, then you're going to feel amazing about it. And I'm sure it's brilliant and it looks amazing, which oh, is well. already... <laughs> oh, that's a good thing. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Holly. It's, you know, we're recording this on the Monday morning and you've literally made my week. Um, you know, I'm pumped up for, <laughs> for oh, the rest of the week. Thank you so, so much. It's been glorious. <laughs> thank you so much, Holly. And see you soon. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on Vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at Vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon.